This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hey, it's me, Lawrence Gunther, host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, heard on AMI-audio. I love exploring the great outdoors with my guide dog, and I want you to be just as comfortable exploring your community and beyond. Check out my show for the latest outdoor accessibility tips, tech, and insights. Listen to Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther wherever you listen to great podcasts. I'm Kelly McDonald. Here's a segment from our show, Kelly and Company, that airs weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes the big chance. The shot is, is this the tagger. The neutral zone. Oh, oh my God. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. Hey, and welcome to another edition of The Neutral Zone. I am indeed your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Cam Dickens. Cam, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you, Brock? Pretty good, pretty good. Always uh, Friday, good weather outside, which it's supposed to be fall, but this weekend is still going to be summer, apparently, so that's always good news. And also joining us is Claire Buchanan. Claire, how are you? I'm fantastic. I, uh, I'm i really excited about this uh, Dallas and Tampa Bay game tonight. Yes. Do you think the Stanley Cup will be awarded uh, tonight? Oh, no. They're 2-1. to one. Sorry. I'm thinking of the other series in, uh, in basketball. So there will still be a couple of games. But do you think Tampa Bay will ultimately win? I do. Uh, they've actually been one of my favorites through the entire playoffs. So, yeah, it's been an exciting series. Yeah, Cameron, what about you? I know you've been kind of watching that series as well. Yeah, I think Tampa Bay is going to uh, finally break through with that team and win it So, um, with the players that they currently have. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a good series, but I think uh, Tampa is going to kind of push through. Three minutes and 47 seconds of Steven Stamkos in uh, the last game and he scored a goal so to me that's the moment in that uh, in that in that series that's going to inject uh, positivity with the with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning and we'll see what happens but the next game does go uh, this evening and then the Stanley Cup could be awarded on Saturday so very exciting well let's talk about uh, this last week's Twitter poll last week's Twitter poll was what is the weirdest sport to watch with no fans? 10% baseball, 40% NFL, 50% basketball, and baseball. I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, basketball, uh, baseball and basketball. Pardon me. Um, guys, thoughts on the uh, Twitter poll? Surprise? I'm not surprised myself, um, especially kind of watching those uh, Blue Jay games and seeing a stadium of, you know, 40,000 or a bit less, a bit more. Um, it's eerily quiet, although they do have some music pumping into the stadium. But, yeah, I, to me, that's the one that's the most... Um, um, that's the one that kind of freaks me out the most is watching a baseball game with uh, nobody in the stands. Yeah, let me uh, let me correct myself. The fifty percent was uh, basketball and hockey, which, to be honest with me, with you guys, that one was the one that surprised me. I thought they did the best job in um, you know dealing with uh, 
their fans and uh, not having fans and having them on the virtual screens and really not noticing there being no fans. Claire, thoughts? I agree that, um, I mean, I've watched a lot of hockey recently with the playoffs going on and um, I don't know why they didn't do the same thing that they do with the NBA is having those people being able to kind of subscribe in and being able to watch the game live and, and have those virtual fans that you can see. But like you said, they, they have done a fantastic job otherwise with music and, and all that. But yeah, I don't know why the NHL didn't follow the NBA's suit. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm really surprised that that was the uh, 50% uh, uh, sport there because I thought NBA and NHL did the best job. But hey, the uh, listeners definitely did spoke. It's time to get into this week's headlines. Toronto Raptors head coach Nick Nurse will now be making $8 million per season with his multi-year extension, which puts him among the league leaders and highest paid coaches. I mean, this is no surprise. He's he's done the work and the results have been there. And there's no doubt that he's going to come back with his team stronger and, and more confident next season. So well worth the pay. NFL's Vegas Raiders general manager Mark Davis has a nickname for their new stadium. Chuck Silverstein gives us more. Welcome to the Death Star, where our opponents' dreams come to die, says Las Vegas Raiders owner Mark Davis. His nickname for the new Allegiant Stadium, right out of Star Wars. But it was the villain's HQ, no? What went through my mind didn't go through your mind. Head coach John Gruden. I think it's a cool name for our stadium. But the Death Star was blown up three times. I don't give a damn about Star Wars, but it's a cool stadium. When asked about Death Star being a failed infrastructure project, owner Davis says, nah, not theirs. Chuck Sievertson, ABC. News. Robert Kraft, owner of the New England Patriots, will not face trial on charges he paid for sex at a Florida massage parlor. Aaron Katursky explains why. The state attorney in Palm Beach County said it no longer had enough evidence to prosecute Robert Kraft for solicitation of prostitution. The decision follows an appellate court's ruling that surveillance video of Kraft inside the Orchids of Asia Day Spa in Jupiter was improperly obtained by police and therefore inadmissible in court. Although there was probable cause to make an arrest, prosecutors said the evidence cannot prove all legally required elements of the crime and is insufficient to support a criminal prosecution. Kraft is now pushing to have the videotape destroyed. Aaron Katursky, ABC News, New York. The Toronto Blue Jays have made the postseason for the first time since 2016. This comes after taking three out of four against the New York Yankees, and they still have an outside shot to get second place in the American League East. I think it's been a great learning experience for the Jays this year. Um, I'm not going to talk about Montoyo because I'm going to keep this positive, and I'm looking forward to seeing the Jays in the postseason and seeing what they can accomplish. Major League Baseball announces a new initiative, which will be $10 million. We hear again from Chuck Sieberton for the details. Major League Baseball and the MLB Players Association announcing a $10 million commitment to help fund programs run by the Players Alliance, a group of more than 100 active and former pro baseball players, aiming to increase black participation in baseball and racial justice in local communities. It's an extremely expensive sport that uh, a lot of inner-city youth 
um, don't have the means, um, you know, to, to go out and play baseball, to get equipment. Chicago Cubs outfielder Cameron Maven to MLB Network. This is the beginning of change. Maven says baseball builds character. Chuck Severson, ABC News. This is definitely a great initiative for the MLB, and I'm glad uh, not only the MLB, but other sports are putting up money for various uh, initiatives, and this is just another one on that list. Those are your headlines for this week, and I didn't give you the Twitter poll because the Twitter poll question for this week is in light of one of our headlines. Do you support do you believe that Nick Nurse deserves an $8 million extension? Your answers are quite simple. Yes or no. So cast your vote on AMI-audio and all of our Twitter handles, which we will ha- hand out later in the show. Coming up next, we're going to speak to Wendy Gittens, the executive director of basketball, Wheelchair Basketball Canada, right here on The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter conversation with Brett Wills from the Neutral Zone? Find him at Neutral Zone Brett. Swinging a chopper to second base right at CP Buchanan 13. Claire picks up the ball, throws it over to first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at J Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this organ interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio. If you missed our first broadcast, that's okay. We have many uh, repeats. One of them is at 9 p.m., and then we have a couple scattered throughout the rest of the weekend. But the first initial one is 9 p.m., and then, of course, you can always get us on podcast. Joining me this week is Claire Buchanan and Cam Jenkins. And joining us now is Wendy uh, Gittens, who is the executive director of Wheelchair Basketball Canada. Wendy, welcome to the program. Uh, g- good afternoon. Thank you. Uh, Wendy, can you start off by telling us uh, your role with Wheelchair Basketball Canada? Uh, yes, I am the executive director of Wheelchair Basketball Canada. Um, it's a position I've had for quite a few years, um, pushing 20, uh, 20 years with the organization, and um, yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to be uh, working for the organization. Wendy, how would you say that Wheelchair Basketball Canada has been affected most by the pandemic? Well, it, it's it has significantly affected us. Um, like many organizations, um, we've had to go virtual with staff, so um, most of our staff are working remotely from home. Um, in the spring, it's typically a busy time of the year for us with uh, a number of our national championship events. Um, those were all canceled, um, along with uh, any competition that we would have had over the summer. Obviously, the um, the postponement of the uh, 2020 uh, Tokyo Paralympic Games up till next year, 2021, had an impact on our 
on our normal summer uh, training and competitions with our senior teams. Um, so, so it's been it's been an interesting time. Now, is there a return to play plan for wheelchair basketball in Canada? And if so, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there is a return to play um, a plan in the, earlier in the summer, um, late spring, I think it was around June. Um, we released, uh, in collaboration with Canada Basketball, um, a national return to basketball framework um, that was, you know, shared out to all of our uh, provincial members and clubs across the country. And uh, specifically for us, for Wheelchair Basketball Canada, we developed our own sort of return to train um, plan uh, for our for our high performance program for our senior teams in particular and our next gen program. Um, that was, you know, developed in consultation with uh, medical experts, program partners, and, and obviously we follow um, public health guidelines. And we also worked with our um, our uh, uh, par- sport partners um, and facility. Um, we have a national training center out of the Tron- Toronto Pan Am Sports Center, and um, so we worked with them along with the Canadian Sport Institute of Ontario Um so we do have um, a number of athletes that are in uh, the Toronto area, and they are. Um, we are now um, training out of the out of the Toronto Pan Am Sports Center at our national training center. Um, it looks different than what we typically would be doing, um, but you know we we are taking it sort of. We're taking it slow, and we're we're following all the all the public health guidelines and um, taking all the necessary uh, you know protocols um, that we've put in place. Um, we have individual training right now um, with athletes, um, and, and then along with that, um, we have a number of athletes uh, at home or in their home environments, um, not in Toronto. And again, we've um, we've put in place a training plan for them remotely. Um, and again, our coaches are working with all these athletes. And technology has become our new friend in that we've been able to use technology to connect uh, with athletes to to develop these training programs, to have coaches tr- coaching virtually. Um, and it's been, I think, you know, um, I think we've adapted really, really well. Um, I think our high-performance staff have, have um, um, really kind of embraced the challenge that was put in front of them to, to come up with, uh, you know, um, this plan and, um, and make the most of it. And I think our athletes are benefiting from it and that they are, they are able to train and we're able to, to get some sort of, you know, basketball uh, going again. So I think they've, they've done, done a fabulous job. Um, and it's it's a fluid sort of thing. We're constantly watching, you know, the, the new guidelines as they change or evolve, as things evolve. And, um, you know, we're constantly updating and, and making the necessary changes as well. And all of our decision-making is, is based on, you know, safety, um, you know, the health and well-being of our, of our athletes and our staff. We're joined by Wendy Gittens, Executive Director of Wheelchair Basketball Canada. You're you're listening to The Neutral Zone. I'm Brock Richardson. Now, Wendy, with the movement going forward of getting athletes back to training individually, when do you suspect to see the teams traveling as a whole to compete? Uh, that's a the million-dollar question, um, and I don't have an answer for it, to be honest. Um, at this point, we are we are trying to put plans in place for um, getting, you know, the team uh, even just together here uh, in Canada. 
because um, we have we're not we're not even training five on five yet. So it's a little ways off, um, but we are um, developing plans um, to to try to to get back to uh, some sort of type of competition and and training that 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 we're more you know used to. Um, but it's a little ways off yet for sure. Now, it's been reported that one of your athletes, I believe it's uh, David Ng, has been removed from the Paralympic team because uh, they're revamping the classification system. Can you explain maybe how it's being revamped? Um, Well, what has happened is um, IPC, the International Paralympic Committee, has a classification code that all um, uh, sports have to be compliant with. So the International Wheelchair Basketball Federation um, uh, has to be, you know, in order for them to be compliant with this code, they had to do a reassessment of of their athletes. So um, that's the stage that they're at right now is going through this reassessment process. And the first phase was to reassess all of the, uh, sorry, all of the class uh, fours and four fives um, athletes that were um, going to Tokyo. Um, so that was the first phase that's been completed, um, and through that phase, yes, David Eng was ruled ineligible. With David no longer being eligible, um, how is that going to affect the men's program? Well, it's a significant loss. David was a co-captain of the team, um, has played for, for many, many years. He's, a, you know, he's won a couple Paralympic gold medalists. Of gold medals, um, he's a world champion. He was the flag bearer for for Canada uh, in Rio. Um, it's a big loss. He's you know he's been he's a veteran player, and that that leadership and experience will will be greatly missed um, uh, by the team. He represented the the team and the country with you know just pure class. Um, David was an outstanding guy. Um, played with heart on the court, left everything always on the court. Um, he'd be greatly missed. But but he's not gone from Wiltshire Basketball Canada. Um, we're committed to supporting David through through this time and through this transition for him. Um, he knows we're, we're family. He knows he's welcomed uh, anytime uh, within, you know, our organization. And, um, and you know, we're... we're um, I'm sure we'll see David, you know, playing uh, somewhere in a gym sometime in the future. Now, Wendy, how can people get involved in wheelchair basketball across Canada? Um, well, there's there's lots of ways to get involved, and there's lots of roles for people to get involved in, whether you want to try the sport and play the sport, um, whether you want to coach, um, be an official, um, classify, classification is another route, um, or even just be an administrator or a volunteer. There, there's lots of roles. Um, the way to, to learn a little bit about more about the sport and, and get involved is, um, you know, first and foremost, certainly, um, you know, look at our website. It's uh, wheelchairbasketball.ca. There's a lot of great information there uh, about the sport and learning a little bit more about the organization. But also on that, um, on our website, you can, um, you can, um, under our programs, you can click and there's a find a club and we have all the clubs listed across the country there. So if you're in a particular region of the country, um, you can find a little bit more information, um, there from what clubs might be around. But, and if that doesn't work, you know, certainly 
give us a call or send us an email and we can direct you as well. We're happy to do that, um, link you up with either the provincial sport organization or, or a club, um, depending on what, what's more appropriate on, on, you know, what you want to do or what your interest, where your interest lies. So um, by all means, uh, look us up. The other way too, just to learn a little bit about us is certainly follow us on our social media channels and you'll, you'll see some inside stories around the sport and, and our athletes and, and some great stuff. Wendy, I just have another question about the revamping of the classification system. I believe you said that they were looking at the four or four point fives and fives. Do you see anyone, um, say from the three to the one position, um, also being revamped and, um, possibly any other players, uh, not eligible to play on the Canadian national team? Well, that's the next phase. So, um, as I mentioned, the phase one was just to do the class fours and 4.5. Um, phase two would, is, is, is the next step, which would be, um, reassessing, uh, the rest of the classification. So from class one to 3.5 and any other athletes that weren't involved in phase one, because phase one was just Tokyo, um, Tokyo bound athletes as well. So it's a much bigger group of athletes to be reassessed in the phase two. Um, that has not um, um, the phase two reassessment results have not been have not been concluded at this point. Wendy, I'm curious to know. You said off the top of the interview, you've been involved with wheelchair basketball Canada for 20 plus years. Would you say that this has been one of the more challenging years in your career in this role? A hundred percent. I don't think um, I've ever uh, experienced such um, challenges or faced, you know, such uncertainty um, around just, you know, the 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 pandemic and then this um, this classification situation that we've that we've been um, having to having to deal with. Um, it's been it's been incredibly challenging, and I I would say that you know. Eh, the thing that um, I think I most admire and proud of is, is our staff and athletes and how they um, navigated this this entire year to date. Um, they've they've embraced you know what we've had to do. They've risen to the challenge to to be creative and innovative and in, in how we return to train and how we engage our athletes and and and, um, and through all of this just. Um, the resilience that they've shown um, have just made us, I think, stronger as an organization and as a as a family and as a community uh, for wheelchair basketball. So I'm incredibly incredibly grateful and and just um, um, really proud of our of our staff and our athletes. Wendy, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. It was greatly appreciated, and we hope that. Uh... Uh, beyond yourself, we can have you back on and some of your athletes and coaches join us here on the program. Well, great. Thanks very much. That was Wendy Gittens, Executive Director of Wheelchair Basketball Canada. Coming up next, we're going to be joining, joined by Kyo Breeting of Tennis, and she's going to talk about blind tennis. In fact, over there in BC, we're going to come right back with all that information and much, much more on the Neutral Zone. Stay with us. Hey, if you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now, 
1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail. Welcome back to the second half of the Neutral Zone on your Friday. Lots coming up. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk a lot about the Toronto Blue Jays because they clinched the playoff spot. I'm going to ask Cameron a little bit about uh, Charlie Montoyo, see if I can get him riled up about that. So stay tuned for that. But uh, joining us now is Keo Breeting of... Uh, Blind Tennis over there in BC. Keo, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Keo, can you first start by telling us how you became involved with the sport of blind tennis? Oh, how, how do I start it? Well, when I visited Japan last time, I saw a big progress there for the people with visual impairment, such as different tile on the sidewalk and audio information on every elevator. And best of all, the popularity of blind tennis, where it started in 1986. When I was there for three weeks, I found out everything about blind tennis. And I even purchased balls. And then when I came home in Canada, I joined White King Group and started to play tennis with them just bouncing a ball and hitting a ball on the ceiling and everything in the meeting room. And I was teaching tennis to elementary school children for many years, so teaching tennis is, uh, came very easy. And uh, it, soon we needed a bigger room, so I asked the city of the community center if any space is available at one of the gyms. And the recreation department has not only accepted usage of the gym, but included in the city's sports drop-in program. That's how the whole thing started, and thanks to the city of Coquitlam and Blind Sports BC. Now, can you maybe give us a little bit of a rundown as to how blind tennis may be different from conventional tennis? Yes, uh, differences between conventional tennis and the blind tennis are the balls and the size of the court and using junior's racket. And it's a, using junior's racket is a big issue right now because six feet tall B1 player, junior's racket is too short. But anyway, the balls are made of foam or even sponge with a jingling sound. And the conventional tennis, we say, hands and eyes coordination. But blind tennis is hands and ears coordination. And also the bouncing balls, B1 players are allowed three bounces. And the size of the court is a little bit shorter. B1 players plays on the service court for the conventional tennis, and the service line becomes the baseline. And the blind tennis service line is 1.8 meter inside of the baseline. And both the width is also 1 meter inside of the sideline, so a little bit smaller. And so it is easier, 
for the B1 player, but B2 and B5 players, they are allowed two bounces. Uh, B2 players are allowed three bounces, and the court size is a little bit bigger. And the regular width, but it's a bit shorter, the regular tennis court is 78 feet, but blind tennis is 60 feet, which is 9 feet inside of the baseline on both ends, so a little bit smaller. And uh, B3 to B5, it's uh, two bounces, just like uh, wheelchair tennis. So that's the difference. Just now the with your and size of the court, yeah. Sorry, with your That's with your okay. athletes now being back on the courts, can you give us an idea of how that looks now that we're in different times with the pandemic? Right, right. But the, the tennis court was all the outdoor tennis court was open in July, and we couldn't wait to get up there, and found out that. It was very busy every morning, but in the afternoon, like Friday afternoon, we found out less people. That's how we started to use Friday afternoon. Every week we started to play outdoor, and all the gates are open so that nobody can touch the gate knob. So it was easy, and especially tennis is not a contact sport, so social distance is not an issue. It's very safe sports, especially in this time. And outdoor, it's the noise and the wind are the issue, but uh, these things don't bother players. And the indoor facilities are open now, so we have uh, we are starting October first, Wednesday of October again, indoor. We're joined by Keo Breeting of uh, Blind Tennis in BC. You're listening to The Neutral Zone. I am your host, Brock Richardson. So I was just wondering, with you being a coach, um, what is your philosophy on coaching, or uh, how do you coach your players? First of all, it is so much fun, and I was teaching tennis to the elementary school children for many years, so teaching tennis is not my my problem. And playing tennis, uh, tennis is... uh, Lifetime sports and many good things. And it's, it's, uh, you make friends first, and it's a freedom, and it's a big tennis court. You are all by yourself. You can run back and forth, side to side. You can jump and hit the ball. and It's so much fun. I, I'm just would like everybody to play tennis. It's a sports for life. And it is, of course, the health benefit. Now, how can people get involved in the sport if they if they want to be an athlete? Well, first of all, you can contact for the blind sports of the local blind sports international. On the Facebook, there are many blind tennis international. It's very active. The best thing is to go to the local blind. Uh, blind sports organization, and uh, they would have all the information. Now, going back on the uh, theme of coaching, can you tell us how yes. you got into uh, coaching of uh, the blind sports? Well, that it's, uh, I'm a tennis player since I was playing since uh, high school, 
and uh, get involved for the teaching for elementary school and for the after school tennis program I was doing so the teaching is not much the problem for me and since I was in a member of the accessibility committee in our city we are working for so many people with the accessibility for the wheelchair people, but not enough for the visually impairment. So that's how I found out and joined the blind, the white cane group. And I, I, I knew the people who have the visual impairment movement is quite slow because it's so careful. And I just wanted them to enjoy the tennis I love. So that's how I started, and I contacted the city of Coquitlam and the community center. They were so accepting, and I I needed their help, and uh, they agreed. They are very helpful. Now, you mentioned, Kyo, that you have coached at, at different levels, and then you went on or are currently coaching blind tennis. Have you had to adapt uh, your your coaching styles with blind yes. tennis? Or oh, yes, do it, it is quite a bit different from the children's tennis because they cannot see it. The first the big thing is I needed volunteer, many volunteers, because the blind tennis is more like an individual, one-to-one. And uh, especially B1, you need a volunteer to pick up a ball, passing the ball. So these are the things I have to adapt. And especially my English is a second language and explain everything by words. That was my biggest problem because the children, I can just show how you hit your racket. They imitate the way I do, but it does not work that way in blind tennis. So that was the biggest issue for me, but I get used to it, and the players are enjoying it so much. So that's the best thing. When I see the players hit the ball over the net, that's really exciting. Keo, we really appreciate you taking the time today uh, to do this interview. Your time was very uh, gracious with us, and we hope to have you or some of your athletes on down the line. Thank you. That was Keo Breeting, who is the coach over there in BC for blind tennis. Coming up after the break, we're going to switch to the mainstream world and start with talking a little bit of baseball. Right after the break here on the Neutral Zone, stay with us. show is always fun. We get to uh, talk to great guests as we did today and we also get to talk a little bit of mainstream sports and one of my favorite things about talking mainstream sports is to see if I can just literally poke 
my co-hosts over there virtually and get them riled up about different sports. And today we're going to talk, to start with anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about the Toronto Blue Jays who have solidified a playoff spot. Yes, I said solidified a playoff spot with three games remaining and they have done this for the first time since 2016. The most likely opponent is going to be the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, they do have three games left on the season, but it does appear, as of right now, that they are going to play the Tampa Bay Rays. Cameron, thoughts on what you've seen for the Toronto Blue Jays as a whole this year and leading up to the potential series with the Tampa Bay Rays? I'm happy that the Jays did make the playoffs, obviously. Um, It was a hard struggle to get to the finish line, I think. Um, And I think nobody really expected them to make the playoffs. Uh, Being such a young team, um, that is going to be a force probably within the next uh, couple of years. Um, thing that I'm most worried about um, is the bullpen because uh, Montoyo, he has not been doing a very, very good job of managing the bull, bullpen, uh, especially the first part of the year, but an argument can be made for the entire year. Um, I think that he needs to let his starters go and go as far as they can, um, especially now that we're in the playoffs, because I really think that um, the bullpen needs a rest at the end of the day. So, Uh, If they're going to make any noise, I think they're going to have to do it with their starting pitching um, and be able to score some runs. Claire, thoughts on the Toronto Blue Jays? I agree with Cam. We have such a young team, and being in the playoffs after so many years missing it, it's these guys are riled up, and I think if we go in there and coach coach these guys the right way, we we can really make a move in the playoffs. Ah, there's the there's the word of the segment right there. Coach these guys the right way. Speaking of, said Coach Char- Charlie Montoyo, Mike Wilner, who is on the radio side for the Toronto Blue Jays, tweeted out hours before our program that he believes Charlie Montoyo should be considered manager of the year. Cameron, I ask you, is this just a guy who's on Toronto radio, who's fan, you know, who's... Um, what do we a call homer? it? Homer. A homer. That's the word I'm looking for. A homer and, you know, supporting his guy. Or is there a legitimate case to be made for this guy being manager of the year? There's no case in HE double hockey sticks that you can make for this guy being manager of the year. They are only three games over 500. Uh, what about who's first in the standings and the team that we're likely to play, the uh, Devil Rays, Tampa? Uh, what about uh, their manager? Wonderful season. Yeah, Kevin Cash. He's had a wonderful season. I think he's done really well. Uh, let's take a look at the Chicago White Sox and how well they're doing, and they're at the top of the league compared to where they were as well. So how can you give a manager that has not done well uh, with his bullpen? Um, you could make a case also for, um, you know, who he's put in uh, on the bases or in the outfield as well. Wasn't it just a couple of weeks ago that the center fielder couldn't make a catch if their life depended on it? Um, you know, like there's so many things that you could say about Montoyo as to why they will not get it. So I think Wilner's definitely just being a homer. Here's the thing. I don't think there is any case to be made for this guy to be coach of the year. 
However, as I said to a friend this week who's a friend of the show, uh, you know, unfortunately, he's going to get credit for bringing this team into the playoffs. Do I believe that that credit should turn into a coach of the year? Uh, no. When you only have had two guys go beyond the seventh inning of a, of a baseball game, that's not so good, especially when you consider most of that was a case of they weren't playing well. Um, but some of that also was Charlie Montoyo, in my opinion, really pulling these players, these, these pitchers way too early in games and just, just not having, having the faith in his, his pitchers going uh, beyond the third time in the, in the lineup. So I don't see a case. I agree with you, Cam. I think that, uh, Mike Wilner is a little bit of a, uh, Homer and I just don't see it whether or not he's going to make it. Now, starting a series with Hunjin Ryu uh, and uh, what seems to be Blake Snell going to be taking the mound for the Tampa Bay Rays, that is a pitching matchup that I like. I think that um, Hunjin Ryu has finally found his, his, his rhythm, his stuff. He started the beginning of the year kind of really rough, but over the last number of starts, he's uh, only allowed two runs uh, over, I think it's three starts now. So we're starting to see what we paid for in Hanjin Ryu, and that's going to be a good sign um, for them. Claire, I know you've watched a little bit of the Blue Jays in, in the last little while, and the one game I know you watched was the one where they got blown out against the Yankees. Did you expect them to come back in this series this past three days and win three out of four? I mean, just from watching that game, no, you wouldn't have expected that at all. Um, Yeah, so Cameron, are you with us? Yeah, I certainly am. I think as far as the starting rotation goes for the Blue Jays, that's going to be the biggest thing heading into the playoffs and who they are going to have to, um, um, you know, put in. you got the Ryu as the starter, and then who do you put in after that? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's, you know, you, you don't know beyond – those two starters who you would put in. I mean, I would make a case for Matt Shoemaker, of course, who has come off mm-hmm. injury. But but again, that's another person that I don't know what he's going to look like. I mean, obviously for me, the first one I scratch off the list is Tanner Roark. Um, Claire, <laughs> Claire, I didn't hear what you had to say there about the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm curious to know your thoughts there. Yeah, like I was saying, um, that that game that I watched, it was an unexpected blowout. And for them to come back and kind of show their resilience, it shows, like I said before, these are young guys that are getting their first taste at playoff playoff potential, and uh, they're hungry for it, and it's showing. And now, obviously, guys, this is the number one team in the league, the Tampa Bay Rays. Do you sort of have a feeling that this is could be a young team who could who could make some magic in the playoffs or do we really expect this to be a learning curve and we build on for future years claire start with you on that one i think it's a little bit of both i think we have a bright future with these young guys and at the same time they can really make like you said some magic right now it's it's unexpected what can happen in the playoffs and 
you just got to come out playing hard and of course it's it's got to be coached the right way as well you got to recognize who's hot and who's not yeah i think that's going to be the operative uh statement in this in this segment along with not, uh, being coached better cam but also making less mistakes in the field do you believe that this team has a legitimate shot if they can if they can make less mistakes in the uh field yeah, like that's definitely going to help if you uh, cut down on your errors and play great defensively. That can certainly win you ball games at the end of the day. I don't think there's any uh, uh, anyone that can dispute that. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm interested to see, especially this weekend, um, how how things are approached. I mean, certainly uh, there is an opportunity for the Blue Jays to get into second place in the American League East. Um, but to be honest, guys, I think I'd rather the Chicago, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays uh, in light of the Chicago White Sox, just from a familiarity point of view uh, for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. And out of the four games they won in the 10 uh, that they played overall, three of them were at Tropicana Field, which will be the site of this, uh, this, this series. And we'll see what happens. Um, predictions do you guys think we're gonna see them advance cam i think it's gonna be a tampa that's gonna advance at the end of the day and um i think the jays can win one game but that's about it interesting claire i think if they uh stiffen up their defense and really focus on minimal mistakes they can i think they can i i think they can make it yeah, I believe strongly that if they um, can get a really good start uh, from Hunjin Ryu on uh, Tuesday, obviously against their ace of Blake Snell, this could be a good a good situation. And, and, say, and I think about it this way, guys. If the Toronto Blue Jays can sneak out the first game, they only then have to win one of the last two to advance in the series. So... The series begins on Tuesday. Uh, we don't know the time yet, but I'm sure it will be hopefully a good time and uh, we can get a lot of people on the uh, bandwagon. I want to touch on this one uh, before we end the show this week. I want to just talk about the uh, World Juniors, which has just made the decision to uh, have their event, uh, but in the bubble situation held in Edmonton, Alberta. Claire, do you agree with this decision? I mean, I'm glad that uh, hockey's back and we're able to watch one of the more exciting tournaments that every Canadian looks forward to every year. Um, What really bugs me is that on the flip side, all of the Women's World Championships tournaments got canceled. So it's, again, something that really bugs me that on the men's side, they got the green light and Everyone else kind of got pushed to the side, so I'm happy to watch the World Juniors. I grew up watching it. We all did, but I'm, I'm really upset that uh, other players other players don't get their chance to, to fight for what they want to. Yeah, I agree. Cameron, do you think it's a uh, one, everyone or nothing kind of situation? Like, Do you think the women's uh, championships should have run too if they're going to make it a situation where the men's uh, program runs? Absolutely. If they were going to have it in Canada, 
and be able to do a bubble situation. I don't see why that had to get canceled unless, um, you know, there was no areas in Canada to be able to do it, which I find highly improbable. Um, and maybe they were supposed to do it. Like, Claire, where were they supposed to have the women's um, hockey? Uh, was it supposed to be out in the Europe or? No, I've, I've, I really believe, um, if I'm correct, I, I believe it was on the East Coast. I think it was Nova Scotia was gonna Scotia. was gonna be was gonna be the place. So yeah, yeah, it was it was looking to stay in Canada, and I just it boggles my mind as to as to why that decision was made that way. No, yeah, I think you have a phenomenal point, Claire. And now I'm starting to wonder the same thing: why couldn't the women's hockey go through uh, if the World Junior Hockey is going to be able to go through and in a bubble? Um, hopefully. You know, uh, the powers that be at the women's hockey are listening to this uh, show and that uh, they'll maybe think twice about it and maybe they can get something going on. Now, we've only got a few minutes, guys, but this is a point that I want to put out there because the the Ontario Hockey League has said that they're not going to start their season on September or December 1st, as was previously scheduled. With the lack of uh, games that precede these championships, how difficult is it for these guys? How difficult will it be for these guys to um, to to ramp up and be ready to go for the World Juniors, Claire? I think it's going to be tough either way. Um, as athletes ourselves, we we know how hard this time has been to stay in shape and stay in game mode. So. Um, it's still going to be an exciting tournament, but uh, I think we'll see these guys' legs kind of tire out quicker than they're, than they're used to. Even though they are kids, that's for sure. That's been kind of one of my biggest worries. And also I worry, I worry about injury, Cam. Yeah, absolutely. If they haven't been doing anything, uh, then there is that risk of injury. But in today's world uh, with hockey, professional hockey players, both men and women, Aren't they really skating or uh, working out uh, year-round? They are, but I would think that game action cam would be a whole different uh, animal. Like, you can try to simulate, um, you know, anything you want, but until you're actually skating five-on-five with another team, it, it can be difficult for sure. Well, let's hopefully uh, they get some go-go gadget skates and they're able to uh, get her going. Absolutely. And uh, we'll see. By next week, we could be uh, talking about some uh, championships here in the neutral zone with the Stanley Cup being a possibility and also the NBA also uh, having at least their final set. So lots of good stuff coming up next week on the show. I'd like to thank... Claire Buchanan, Cam Jenkins. I'd like to also thank our technical producer, Matt Agnew. Our technical supervisor is Paula Deneen. And our manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Be safe and have a great week. And we'll talk to you next week.
This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.